You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning. Welcome to the West Side Worship Service. Our uh, brothers over in the Metro L.A. group are having small group services. They'll join us again next week. But it's great to have all of you here today. Today, The title of today's lesson is More Than a Fan. Makes me think about last week where we had Super Bowl. After Super Bowl, we had over quite a few people. I had smoked a lot of meat in my smoker. It was very enjoyable to eat all that meat. Great fun. I'm an L.A. Rams fan. And I know about the rivalry between Northern Cal, San Fran, and the Rams a little. So I decided to cheer for the Chiefs. I became a Chiefs fan. Being a fan is fun. It makes the game encouraging. I was a very small Chiefs, Chiefs fan for that day. I am an avid L.A. sports fan. I love the Lakers. I don't hate the Clippers. I love the Dodgers. And I especially love the sports teams from my alma mater, UCLA. Being a fan is a great time. They recently hired a brand new coach. Deshaun Foster is a hero of a running back in the old days from UCLA, and he's been a running back coach for UCLA, and he just got hired as the head coach. I am a fan. Martin Jarman is the athletic director. He's there on the right. He hired him. We're excited about the upcoming season. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Deshaun, uh, not the NFL, the uh, UCLA Hall of Fame. He's also a former Carolina Panther NFL guy. He's going to do great for UCLA. I am a fan of UCLA football. I am a fan of the athletic director and the coach, but I do not know them. I like watching what happens out there, but I don't get involved, at least not yet. I have been thinking about volunteering to help UCLA football, maybe as a chaplain. Many of us know Taylor Swift and are fans of Taylor Swift. Many of us know about her. The NFL is a fan of Taylor Swift because she increased their revenue and viewership tremendously. I read that she earned $330 million in extra revenue for the NFL because she would go to the games to watch her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, play football. Many people know about her life, have seen her concerts, but they do not know her. They are fans of hers. Jesus also is very famous in the world. Many people know about Jesus. They are his fans. But Jesus is calling us to be more than a fan. We're studying the gospel of John right now as a church. Our theme for the year is focus on Jesus. And today we're going to look at the passages in the gospel of John where he begins to attract his first disciples. He's calling his first disciples And we're going to see some great inspiration about his calling to be more than a fan. Let's go to God in prayer and we'll read the text. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time to be here, to study your word, to experience your presence as we worship you, as we think about spiritual things. 
Help us to be more than a fan of Jesus. Help us to understand this great calling that you have laid before each of us. Open our minds and hearts. May your words be spoken. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 1, verse 35, we read, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. The word disciple in John, written in Greek, is the word mathetes. It means follower of, pupil, or apprentice. It appears, as I did my Bible search on this word, it appears 268 times in the New Testament. Interestingly, it's only in the narrative accounts in the New Testament. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, which tells the story of the development of the church. So it indicates that discipleship, being a follower, is a journey. A journey of learning from him and becoming more like him. And Jesus wanted us to be more than simply fans of his. In the world today, there are many fans of Jesus. I think statistically it's the largest world religion Largely, that is related to the Southern Hemisphere, where Christianity is very large. In America, it's still the largest religion, claimed religion, but it's been decreasing. I've read recently it's down to about 60% of Americans even claim to be Christians. Now, statistics means that's, that's how many fans of Jesus there are. We're going to get into that in a little bit more detail. But Jesus has always called people to be more than his fan. This verse is a very powerful verse in chapter 14 of the book of Luke. We read there where large crowds were traveling with Jesus. I like how Luke writes that. They were traveling. They were hanging out. They went to his concert. They came to his games. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother... Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my Mathetes, my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wow. He cuts right to it. He wants more than a fan. He even tells the fans, listen, don't even be my fan unless you're willing to really prioritize me in life. This text is not about you hating your family, your relatives, but about how much more you love him comparatively. I remember reading this verse when I was 14 years old. At that time, I had called myself a Christian. I'd learned about Jesus. I had said a prayer. Even at age 12, to fit in with my friends who were Catholic and various other backgrounds, I I got baptized. But I never really looked at the scriptures. And when I read this verse, I didn't have a lot of skepticism, intellectual issues so far at that time about Jesus or the word of God or any of that. I just was like, he's saying he wants me to give up my whole life 
Later on in the verse, if you read in verse 33 there, he says, you got to give up everything. And as a 14 year old, I knew what that meant. I, it implicitly meant I've got to begin to change everything I do. And I didn't want to. My grandfather, he said, sounds like you have a bunch of sinning you want to do. And I nodded. I did. I wanted to live the way I wanted. I wanted to experience sexual indiscretions that weren't going to line up with the scriptures. I wanted to experience other things that you do as a teenager in American high schools that weren't going to line up with the lifestyle of Jesus. I certainly wasn't thinking that I was going to someday be a minister and teach and preach. That was the last thing on my mind. So I didn't do it. Took me 10 more years before I was reintroduced to Jesus and read this verse again. By then, all that sin in had humbled me. And I was ready to explore what it meant to be a follower instead of just a fan. I like this verse. It's very haunting for many Christians. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many fans will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Wow. He's speaking again to the fans There are a lot of fans of Jesus in our world. As we sit here today, you're at least a fan of Jesus or you probably wouldn't have shown up for the for the day, for the concert, for the show. Maybe somebody convinced you to come, but you were fan enough to say, all right, I want to come. I like hearing him. I like hearing something he says. But this verse cuts right to it, doesn't it? It's not enough to know about him. He really wants to know you. Personally, there's a writer, Robert Coleman, who wrote a famous book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And I read it early in my walk with Jesus. He wrote this book in 1963, many years ago. And he basically said, you can't be a a fan. You got to be a follower. When he wrote these words, he said, it is high time that requirements for membership in the church be interpreted and enforced in terms of true Christian discipleship. But hardly anyone at that time, and oftentimes even today, are not following that plan. We like to be fans because it's comfy to be unknown and get a good song or a good message. But to actually be a disciple who surrenders our life and becomes an apprentice to Jesus, that's very difficult. And so the question I have for you today is, are you a fan or a follower? Mathetus means disciple. Maybe an accurate terminology for today that is more meaningful is, are you an apprentice to Jesus? And apprentice has meaning even in our day, as many in the different trades. I know Michael's an electrician. And Carrie's uncle's an electrician. And Carrie's cousin's an electrician. They had to be an apprentice to a journeyman. 
where they didn't just learn about how to wire the house. They actually began hands on wiring up the house and the commercial properties until they learned how to do it hands on. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to be more than a fan. I like the idea of disciple and apprentice. And I read a book recently by John Mark Homer called Practicing the Way. I've begun reading the book. I like how he says in there about being a disciple, how important it is. And he quotes Dallas Willard. Let me show you this quote. He says, there is no problem in human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. And that is true. He also says being a disciple is a noun, not a verb. We can't, you know, we don't say I'm going to Christian you. But in our group, we've kind of said, I'm going to disciple you. That's bad form. And the problem with it is if you see disciple as a verb, then you might put the onus of being trained or becoming like Jesus on other people. But if it's a noun, which it is, I'm going to be a disciple, I'm going to be an apprentice, then it's your responsibility to go after discipleship to Jesus, who is the rabbi, who is the teacher, who can train you and make you into his apprentice. Amen. It's our responsibility. Individually, we can't put it off on other people. Let's go back into the text and see how Jesus began to inspire people to be his follower, not just a fan. I find in the book of John, he begins this story mostly through inspiration. Now, later on, he hits the heavy stuff. And I I shared a few of the heavy passages about being a disciple from other gospels. You saw those. But right here, Jesus wants to inspire us. He doesn't want it to feel so heavy. And I know I've hit you with fan or follower. But really what I want you to do is be inspired. To be drawn into him in a powerful way. And as we read the text in John, again, I want to look at this verse where he says, of course, the apostle of the uh, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. And when the disciples heard him say this, they followed him. Well, why? What did that mean? What does that mean to you guys? The Lamb of God. That's a strange thing to say. Now, in their culture, they would have understood some of the terminology. They knew the history of the Exodus and the Passover story. If you've ever seen some of those movies about that Passover and the Passover lamb was the blood of the lamb put on the doorframe of the houses of the Israelites and it saved them from the death angel. So they, they knew the imagery meant saving from death. Of course, in Jewish culture, the priests sacrificed lambs all the time as a guilt offering, as a sin offering. So when you think of the lamb of God, they're thinking renewal. They're thinking hope. They're thinking a fresh start. And that's attractive to people. In our day, similar to them, we oftentimes cannot hold up to the expectations of our life. And God knew that was the case, which is why he set up the sacrificial system so people would rely on God's mercy and God's grace. And it would ultimately lead people to the Lamb of God. When we try to be all that we think we ought to be and we're not able to be, what does that do? It goes, God, have mercy on me. And it leads you to Jesus the Lamb of God. And that's inspiring. We need that. We always need a fresh start. And I know we're going to take communion after the lesson. That gives us a fresh start. The message of renewal and hope 
is a message that Jesus brings to all of us. And I hope that you will follow that and not just be a fan of that. As we read the text further, it says, turning around, Jesus saw them following it, asked, what do you want? Other versions say, what are you looking for? They say, rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I love this passage because Jesus gets right to it. They're following him. They're like, what's going on? He turns around. What do you guys want? What are you looking for? That's a good question today. What are you looking for? It's a hard question to answer. What are you seeking? I asked Carrie this. She said, I'm seeking. I was seeking when I began to follow Jesus. I was seeking stability. I was seeking security and a solid foundation upon which to build my life. I thought about me. I thought same thing. I was seeking truth. I was looking for a way to have significance in life than just the false American dream. And Jesus said, follow me. And I was called to something bigger than myself. It's a good question. I like the U2 song says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Followers of Jesus have found what they are looking for. He is the fulfillment of every need inside our lives. But you can't just be a fan looking from the outside. You got to get to know him. You got to get in there and connect with him. And I love how he says in this verse, if you notice, it says he spent that day with them. He knew how valuable time was. Our time is valuable. We only have so many days in our life. And to spend time with somebody for a whole afternoon. Imagine if you go on a road trip with a buddy, a friend. And you're all day long on a road trip and you start sharing your life and you get vulnerable. What's going to happen if you go with one person you've never met and you spend a whole afternoon with them? You're going to get to know them. You might even become close friends. You're going to connect with them. Jesus makes time for people and he makes time for you. Will you make time for him? But you might say, Steve, how do I do that? He's not walking around anymore. I can't go hang out in the afternoon at his house. He sent his spirit onto earth and it's here. You can sense, sense the spirit and feel the spirit. And we do have prayer and meditation and the Holy Spirit is upon earth. And he's upon all people and he wants to be in all people. But he'll listen and you can connect with him. We also read the verses where he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there Am I with them? So is he here? He's here because we're gathered in his name. His spirit is here. You're getting to spend some time. but You're going to have to spend more than one concert with him, so to speak. You're going to have to get involved more intimately with them, with a few other people connecting and learning and talking and following and apprenticing to him to be more than a fan. As we go on in the text, we read that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Let's stop real quick on that. He was one of the two. And in this text we're going to be reading, we come across five followers of Jesus, five disciples. 
Andrew, and we're going to read right here how he finds his brother Peter. Later, we're going to read a little bit about Philip and how he gets Nathaniel. But who's the second one? Who's the other guy? Most commentators of the Bible think it, and I agree, it's the Apostle John himself. Well, he kept himself in the background, but how would he know to write this? He was there. So I think he was the fifth one or the second one that comes upon the story. And it says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew had spent that day with him. And after one afternoon of hanging out with Jesus, he was so motivated and so convinced of who Jesus was that he went and got his brother, his buddy, his friend, his brother. He's like, I got to bring my brother. Who's the first person I want to bring to learn that I have found the Messiah? And we'll talk a little bit more about how amazing that thought is a little bit later. After people spend time with you, how motivated are they? They walk out depressed. Or they walk out, man, I'm going to take on the world. With Jesus, when you spend time with Jesus, it motivates you. You start feeling like you have something to talk about. You want to bring people you care about to learn and see what it is you're learning. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Sadly, we often buy into the idea that sharing our faith, evangelizing, is a bad thing to do. Unfortunately, many people go about it the wrong way, but it is a good thing to do. In our day and age, everybody is selling something. I mean, everyone. I looked at my email when I was writing the sermon, and in the 36 hours when I was writing the sermon, from when I started writing this this text, um, I had a hundred, in my main email, a hundred advertisements to buy or join or do something in 36 hours. And that wasn't even, I mean, that's crazy, Right? That's not even other emails that I might have that I signed up for things because I don't want to get it in my main email. But everyone's trying to sell something, but nothing is as valuable as selling and helping people become followers of Jesus. And there's nothing weird or wrong about sharing something that you're excited about. Being a disciple of Jesus means inviting others to know him. When I first read the Mark account that following him meant being a fisher of men, I was inspired because like I shared, I wanted something significant. I wanted to make an impact in my life. I wanted my life to count. And Jesus was giving me a mission in my life. And understanding God, I now had a meaning and purpose to know God and enjoy my relationship with him. And then I had a practical mission to live out. I was excited about that. What is the one thing you're willing to give your best time, talent, and energy to? Jesus has a plan to change the world. He has a plan to change you. But you have to choose to follow and not just be a fan, right? And so he brings Peter to him. You cannot just simply receive the truth in without letting it go out. It'd be like a lake. Look at this. A lake or a pond that doesn't let the water go out gets murky and stagnant. But when the water, the truth flows out of you, it's fresh. It's exciting. That's God's calling for each of our lives. Andrew, he went and got his brother Peter. He helped his family member. That's a great thing that we help our family members. 
I know there's so many of you who have helped your family members. Walked in today, I saw Hanson Candell, thought about the Candells. Both his daughters have served Jesus. They follow Jesus in our campus, our singles. I was thinking about the Nascimentos, you know, Talia's here today. The twins are following Jesus. Mom and dad introduced their kids to Jesus. So many of you have done that. I think about Oscar. He brought his mom. So instead of mom bringing the kid, Oscar brought his mom. You know, she's a part of our Spanish ministry. Carrie, early on in her life, she brought mom. Mom's now helps us with hospitality. Mom's a disciple. People should bring their family members to be introduced to this hero of life, Jesus. Let's be a flowing, healthy river, not a stagnant pond. You guys with me? Let's continue on in the text. So he brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. Cephas means Peter in Greek, or really what that word simply means is rock. What an awesome nickname. That's an popular nickname even in our day, isn't it? The Rock. I'm a fan of Dwayne Johnson. He's known as The Rock, but the original Rock was Peter. Jesus met him and gave him an inspirational nickname. Jesus believes in people. Jesus sees you as more than you see yourself. Jesus sees what you can become. Following Jesus means you have hope and you can live into a reality that maybe you never thought for yourself. Peter, the rock, right? He used to be Simon, the fisherman, sort of angry often. I remember in The Chosen, they introduced Peter by being in a fight with somebody, punching somebody in the, in the movie. I could see that. He's a fisherman. He's rugged. He's kind of angry all the time, not catching enough fish. But Jesus said, you will be stable, secure, the rock. In the same way, he looks at you. If you will apprentice to him, you will become something more than you ever dreamed possible. He believes in people. He sees the best in people. When we apprentice to him, we believe in other people. You know, I find it so interesting that we so easily can give up on one another. Or as even as a minister at times... We hear all the problems going on in people's lives. And it's easy to be like, oh, this won't happen because of this situation. This, And it's too easy to see things with problems instead of see things with faith. Apprentices to Jesus believe in people. And you are called to be that kind of person. Fans don't get transformed, but followers do. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Now, later we read in the text, a different gospel, that Jesus rebukes the city of Bethsaida. He's like, woe to you, Bethsaida. You're ungodly. However, Peter, Andrew, and Philip came from there. So not such a bad town. Every town has something good that comes out of it. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good come from there? Or maybe he said it like this. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? We're not really sure, right, how he said it, but your tone of voice makes a difference, doesn't it? 
I've always thought it was the first, but then a commentator was like, might have been really positive. Nazareth? Wow, Canadian good come from there? That's cool. It was a small town. I think it was probably more cynical, is my sense. Nathaniel asked, come and see. Same thing that Jesus had said earlier. So sometimes we come to God and we're found because our family members bring us. Sometimes we come, Jesus himself, it says, went and found Philip. God's working all kinds of ways. There's not one right way to come and find him and learn about him. These days, people find us as a West Side, guess how? Google. Find us up. Thank you for your Google reviews. I think more and more is better. I want to highlight that. Thank you, Mark Shaw, for helping us work on that. Let's keep working on that. The more people who want to come and see, the better. There's the one couple that I, I you know, are friends of ours now. They, they came from online. They said they had looked up all the different churches in the area, watched all the sermons, and felt like, this is where I want to come. I feel like I can connect with, with the, the people there. And God's beginning to introduce himself to them in a powerful way. Come and see. So there's lots of ways to find him. You don't want to be stuck in only one way. You want to believe that God is working in all kinds of ways. Now, I like what happens right here. Or Philip says, we have found the one Moses wrote about. You know, Moses wrote about 1,500 years before this time. The book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and and, and Deuteronomy, and and the scriptures that Moses wrote, the Torah, was written roughly 1,500 years before Jesus came on the scene. And here's Philip saying, we found the guy written about 1,500 years. He's right down the street in this little house. You've got to go see him. I mean, I just want you to grasp how mind-blowing that concept is. If one of us said, hey, Jesus came back, he's down in El Segundo. We'd be like, really? Hard to believe. Now, there was a movement within their culture where they were looking for the Messiah, the Savior. They were overrun by the Roman Empire. They wanted Israel to sort of rise up and break free of the political oppression. And there was a a fervor for the Messiah. Lots of people said they were. So it wasn't as uncommon. But still, it's mind-blowing to say we have found him, the Messiah, the King. You know, we found the one that was written about by the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth. We all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Philip wanted to be. I know that you want to be. We want to be a part of a a movement of something bigger than ourselves. And that's a good thing. Followers of Jesus are a part of something big. We're a part of the Holy Spirit working. And he's working. The the West Side is a part of a fellowship of churches that's, that's a tribe of this movement. We're just one tribe. But I've seen his message of being a disciple. All these other writers outside our church, outside our denomination are talking deeply about you got to be a follower, not a fan. He, there's a crescendo going on. There's a movement. The world's getting dark, but truth and light is still shining bright. There's a movement going on. We have a fellowship in the Middle East where it's very difficult to preach about Jesus. But they're having more people come to Christ than we've ever seen in our church in Lebanon. And we're going to get to hear from Mufid, who leads our church. He's coming in town in March, by the way. And if you would like, on March uh, 3rd or March 2nd, I believe, on Saturday morning, uh, our fellowship is going to join a Zoom prayer with our church in Lebanon to pray for the work here and over there. See, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's a good thing. You should want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Philip was. And so he brings Nathaniel. And so let's read and we'll close out the text. 
When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And let's read the text, the finished part. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Wow. Incredible story. So Nathaniel runs into Jesus. Jesus says, here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Gives him a compliment that he's authentic. He's real. He speaks his mind. And then he says, I saw you under that fig tree before Philip called you. And that alone just shocked him. Now, I've thought long and hard, what was going on under the fig tree? And I can't figure it out. I thought about what would happen if I was under the fig tree and Jesus saw me. I was probably doing something I shouldn't have been doing. And when he says, I saw you under the fig tree, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, you're the king of Israel. I would feel guilty. I I can be guilt ridden. I'm sorry. I confess I, I need that mercy all the time. Maybe it was different. Maybe he says he has no deceit in him. He's just a good hearted guy. Maybe he had been saving money up for a family member and he was hiding it under the fig tree. Maybe he was going to donate it to somebody and wanted to be to steal it. I mean, let's think good things, right? Either way, he didn't think anyone saw him. And when he heard, I saw you under the fig tree, he, he didn't think anybody knew he had gone under the fig tree. And so he goes, you are the king of Israel. You really are the Messiah. I'm going to follow you. He was convinced, powerful. Today, are you a fan or a follower? Jesus says, if you follow me, he says, you will see far greater things than that. You will see heaven open. Don't you want to see spiritual things? Don't you want to see heaven open? open he's referencing of course the genesis story of jacob jacob's ladder the angels of god ascending on the stairway to heaven he's saying i am the stairway to heaven and if you follow me you will get a glimpse of heaven and i believe that for every one of us which is why i want to walk closely as his apprentice I want to see into heaven even while walking in the darkness of our world and someday to see it permanently and live in a new created world, a heavenly place. Today, each of us has to ask the question, am I a fan or am I a follower? Be more than a fan. So we're going to take communion in just a moment and I'll come back and pray. But I want you just to talk to the people to your right or to your left. And I want you to answer one of these two questions. How does Jesus inspire you to be more than a fan? Or practically, what is something that Jesus did that you can put into practice as his apprentice? Let's have a two or three minute discussion. I'll come back out and pray for the communion. As we reflect on the communion, I want you to remember the passage we read where it says, 
John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus as, look, the Lamb of God. And earlier he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the end of the Gospel of John, we're going to read the story eventually of how he goes to the cross. Of course, as Easter's coming, we're going to fast forward to that portion. He gives us a chance to be renewed, to start fresh. He gave his life. He sacrificed his body and he shed his blood, which is the eternal cleansing component that gives us new life. He is the Lamb of God, not just the Lamb for our own specific sins, but for all people and ours personally. Let's remember him at this time as we take the the bread, which reminds us of his body and his life given for us. And then the, the fruit of the vine, which reminds us of his shed blood, which provides this cleansing where God says, I will not count your sins against you because Jesus has paid the price. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to reflect on your word, to be inspired, to be more than a fan. We want to be your apprentice, Jesus, to follow you, to know you each day, to walk with you and to learn practically how to inspire others, teach others and love others. Thank you for your your body and your example and how you gave your very life and selflessness. Thank you for your bloodshed that gives us a new start, a fresh perspective every day. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.